This podcast contains explicit language. Please be advised. Hello and welcome to Real Discussions. Um, Today's date is Friday, April 14th, 2017. It's been a pretty crazy week around here in the political world and around the United States, but we'll get to that later. Might as well start out with some introductions. I'm your host, Joe Matthews. With me tonight is my co-host, Evan Richter. Hey, how's it going? And my additional co-host, Kyle Zober. What's up? What a week it's been, huh? Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I think watching the news all this week, this has been some pretty crazy shit we've really seen. Now speak I for concur. yourself. I concur. You only read HuffPost, buddy. I get new, I get news from other places, but you're the one who is living in a house where Fox News is streaming on TV 24-7. It is quite depressing. I cry myself to sleep every night. I, I don't know how you do that. It's a thing called, you know, I don't even know how I do it. I mean, it, it's it amazes me. It actually is pretty shocking that I haven't gone fully insane yet. I mean, given the political climate, I figured I'd be bouncing off the yeah, walls in some it, funny farm. If I were you, I probably would have like moved down the street or something. <laughs> Rather than living in a house with Fox News playing on it? I'll just move into your apartment. <laughs> okay, moving on, folks. Uh, okay, so um, moving into our first topic is the San Bernardino shooting that occurred late, earlier this week, and I'd like to hand the reins over Kyle to breach in on that subject. An unfortunate tragedy occurred on Monday. You've one that rocked the San Bernardino community still reeling from that shooting in twenty right before Christmas in 2015. On Monday... One Cedric Anderson walked into North Park Elementary School, walked into a classroom and opened fire, killing killing one teacher, Karen Elaine Smith, a young boy, eight years old, Jonathan Martinez and one other classmate who one other classmate of his who is injured, but is alive and in stable condition currently. This is this is a quite a tragic event, which once again brings up the ugly topic of gun control in this nation, which Funnily enough, it seems to get become a hot issue only when these things happen, and then it seems seems that everyone will forget about it. And I guarantee you, by this week, no one will be talking about it again. Uh, Kyle, you also forgot to mention his wife who was there. Yeah, and because uh, I know he went to visit his wife, which is why he was allowed in in general, because it's according to what I was reading here on CNN, that's a normal occurrence in that school. And this is when somebody like Betsy DeVos would be saying that they should allow guns in school. Ugh. Yeah. That's but I, I'd like to act the potential grizzlies. Yeah, uh, yeah, grizzly bears. That's a topic in and of itself, but mu- yeah. that's a topic in and of itself, but we're not going to get into that right now, dudes. Well, Kyle, you actually brought it up, and I'd actually like to talk about it. It's how the media basically jumps all over this whole gun control debate immediately after a mass shooting occurs, and we've seen it various times over the past few years you know sandy hook san bernardino 2015 san bernardino this year the orlando shooting yeah and one thing i've noticed about it is once this tragic incident happens is that everyone's up in arms about it mainly the democrats they will try and push a few bills through none of them get turned down within a month or two no one's talking about it anymore. And like I said, everyone, I guarantee you, by this time next week, no one will be talking about well, this anymore. You remember um, it last, I think it was last year in January. Um, I forget the event that happened. Was that was that Orlando? I believe that was Orlando when he ate 50 I, people. I, I, I remember, yeah. That was, um, no, that was during Pride weekend. Uh, anyway, uh, you remember Obama was pushing through uh, an executive order back then? Yes. That was back when the GOP uh, was railing on him for all his executive orders. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't seem to mind too much right now. Well, they can argue like like we covered last week. They can argue that Obama set that precedent, which I guarantee they're already going to be with their. But at least he was trying to do something. At least he was attempting to address the issue it, rather than just talking about it, nothing getting done. And granted, there are some laws that need to be passed, but. But there's nothing that does ever get done. I, I would like to say something about this evidence. There's one thing that you and I have actually discussed, and along with the, some friends of ours, is the fact that normally when some when a tragic event like this happens, mass shooting is what we're discussing, is everyone goes up in arms, the gun control debates go, start occurring in rampant numbers, and gun sales go through the fucking roof every single time. Mm-hmm. They're going to take my guns away. Uh, people buy guns based on fear. And And honestly, stuff like this, it makes registered gun owners, it makes actual legitimate registered gun owners look crazy. 
And I mean, we can get into a huge topic around gun control itself, whether we should allow universal background checks, allow a federal gun registry, ban assault rifles. I mean, we, we could go on for days about that whole topic. Now, there's a lot of actions that make sense, but in the political climate we have and with the fervent opposition to gun control in general, we're in a gridlock. Well, and, and we anything we talk is just talk. Well, and the NRA is one of the largest lobbies within the entire country. One of the most powerful, actually. That's certainly true. And there's a lot of financial gain from gun manufacturers. Well, exactly. And they then, have a lot to gain. But it's just utterly shocking about how the media will portray this. And it will be the hottest story for a week two, maybe three weeks. And then it just slowly di slowly dies off and just goes into something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just utterly depressing. It's gone into our topic of last week about how the media only covers what they want to cover at that time. And while it's yeah. beneficial to them, it's whatever can bring in the most ratings and the most revenue at that point. I agree. It's one thing. It's a, it's one thing I just want to bring up school shootings as tragic as they are. They're nothing new. But every time one happens, it always makes it seem like it's the end of the it's. It's pretty much, it's, oh, the, oh, we're so shocked. This has never happened before. Why does this happen or why does this keep happening? We say this as next week is the anniversary of Columbine. On what, Very sad, very sad. But honestly, one, a little bit of trivia. The worst school shooting slash massacre occurred in 1922 in Bath, Michigan. And that wasn't with a gun. That was with a homemade bomb. Uh, so I, I want to say something. This I don't really know. Not everybody knows this, but... There's a mass shooting every day in this country. It My occurs point. all the time. It never gets coverage unless um, it involves children, it seems. Or children or there's a certain number of people involved. It has to be massive enough or it has to be or the perpetrator has to be Muslim. And then it's not called a shooting. It's called a terrorist attack. And Evan, I'd like to actually elaborate on that a little bit. And I'm pretty sure that I believe this is where you're getting at is that shootings occur every day. And I think you're getting to the violence, shooting violence that's occurring right now in the city of Chicago. Is that the press only the, these shootings happen every day, whether it be Chicago, Newark, Camden, Philly, wherever, Detroit, Chicago. Oh, we said Chicago already. Yeah. But um, the, these shootings happen all over the country and the media doesn't give a fuck about it. Only when it's a particularly interesting story. Another thing that happens, it seems that whenever there's some sort of mass shooting, whenever it gets popularized in the media, you get copycats afterwards. Usually. That's whenever why I always say they should not name the shooter. They, they should just say a perpetrator committed. They shouldn't name names. They shouldn't delve into who the shooter was, why he didn't. They should just ignore him and just... They should just ignore who did it and focus on the victims, honestly. So one thing I could ask either of you at the moment, and I believe this is a good time to ask it, is what's your overall opinion on the on Second Amendment rights in the United States regarding this topic? Well, I'll say this. and It might be an unpopular opinion. I believe in universal background checks. <laughs> I don't but, think that's an unpopular opinion. But no, here's where it continues. However, if you pass those universal background checks, you should also have to pass a safety course and if you can pass that safety course where you can prove that you can properly shoot it maintain care for and prove that you have a place to store it safely and safely where others can't get to it by all means you should be allowed to own whatever you can but once again if you buy a new type of let's say i want to buy an ak i have to once again get certified to own that if i can prove i can if i can prove that i can buy it if I can prove that I can safely operate it, clean it, and care for it, I should be allowed to own it. Well, I think uh, if, if you go back to what the intent of the Second Amendment was... Uh, sorry, Joe just turned down my feed. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you go to... Um, if you look to the... Um, I guess uh, this is a bit of a, an, an, that Antonin Scalia philosophy of the original intent of the Constitution. If you really care about that, if you look at the original intent of the Founding Fathers, they had no idea that there would be an AK-47, weapons that could fire massive amounts of ammunition or weapons that you can conceal. Remember those times a gun was something that could 
you fired it and you had to reload and powder it. And also, if you look at the the wording of the Second Amendment, it says, in order to maintain a well-regulated militia, like, we just ignore that. Like, when we interpret the Second Amendment of the Constitution, we'll just say, nah, okay, well, maybe it was to maintain a well-regulated militia. But yeah, let's just all have guns. Honestly, when it comes to the gun control topic, I really believe... There was an season. There was an episode of The Simpsons from season nine called uh, I forget. Um, I forget what it was. Forget the name of the episode. But basically, the oh, plot. Yeah, I, I know the name. I just can't remember it. The plot of the episode was that Homer, Car- Homer Car- the Cartridge Family. Yeah, the Cartridge Family. Yeah. The plot of the episode was that Homer wanted to buy a gun because he felt his family was threatened, and I think that was a great look into the gun control debate. Which, from what I read behind the scenes, is the staff themselves is divided about how to portray it. And the one thing the episode portrayed was. That whether you're for guns or against guns, we can all agree that someone like Homer Simpson does not deserve to own a gun because throughout the episode, Homer treated it like a toy, used it to get Lisa's basketball off the thing, used it to turn on the TV, open the beer, turn off the lights. Okay, I I think we get the point. (laughs) But yeah, that's like I said, I firmly believe there are certain people out there who have no business owning a gun. That reminds me of that. Um. Bill that uh, co- that Congress a few weeks ago was uh, passing about uh, letting uh, a few mentally handicapped people own guns, people who are severely handicapped that they can't even manage their own finances or drive themselves. Yeah, it, and, and of course they they uh, defend this as like, oh, we're just protecting their rights, but they don't give a shit about their rights. They just they just want the not the to gun lobby, the, yeah, not to, to run sell a few more the NRA. guns. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Okay, Joe, you have something to say? Well, I pretty you both stated your opinion, so yeah. I might as well state mine. And this is coming from an extremely social liberal. Is the fact that I'm actually a firm supporter of Second Amendment rights? In a way, I believe it's a constitution constitutional right, and that you should have it. I believe there should be limits. I have no problem with using universal background checks. Do you believe we should maintain a well regulated militia? Yeah, it's, it's called, what it says. It's called the United States Army. Um, well, they have guns. They do. But if you're just having some gun, are you maintaining a well-regulated militia? I don't care. It, it, it says right to bear arms. And normally I would hold a bear arms right now, but so, I don't honestly have them readily available unless I go up to the Pocono Mountains and kill a bear, which I'll probably get arrested for. My whole point is that you can really interpret the Constitution however you want there because it's so vague in this in what it means but i just i there's there, there's just so many laws and regulations regarding gun control that i don't agree with look at the state of massachusetts who has magazine limits and such for and for an assault rifle you can have a magazine that i'm not sure the exact number but it's a very low one along with the amount of but uh, along with the amount of ammunition you can load into a handgun i mean that's utterly ridiculous i mean no magazine limits No magazine limit's going to actually stop you from killing people. Yes, but you understand the reason behind magazine limits. If you have a high magazine, you can go ahead and kill 50 people like what happened in Orlando. Or you can have a regular Glock 19 with that holds 15 rounds and do a lot of damage with that, too. You can do just as much damage with three bullets instead of 15. But one life is damaging enough 50 extremely damaging but just one is damaging enough so i think the heart of the issue is that we have a lot of guns in this country where the point is america's saturated with guns there's other countries who don't australia had an excellent buyback program that worked amazingly well but we have a, a a gun culture and that's a part of america like it or not it's something that we have but i think I think the a vast majority of the country agrees that our gun laws don't make sense. Most people support universal background checks. Most people agree that if like you can still own a gun, that's fine, but you should have a thorough background check, no loopholes, and it has it has to be more strict. I think all of us can agree on that that if you want to own a gun, that's a grave responsibility and you need to meet a certain standard. And you shouldn't be able to sneak your way around that. So uh, with that, I guess we could move on to the next topic. This past Tuesday, a special election was held 
in the red, red, red state of Kansas to replace outgoing representative Mike Pompeo, who is now leading the CIA. The election was between Republican Ron Estes and uh, progressive Democrat James Thompson. He had the backing of Bernie Sanders. So this is a really Republican county. Uh, Trump won this county by uh, about 30 points. Mm -hmm. This was 53 percent of the vote. No, I'm talking about when Trump won. He won by a much larger margin than that. This, in all normal circumstances, is a safe Republican district. No Democrat should ever hope to win this. It's it's just Republican home turf. But unexpectedly, the progressive uh, Democrat, uh, backed by Bernie Sanders, was polling really close towards the end. And it suddenly became apparent that this was actually a competitive race. So... The Republican Party really came in strong here. Uh, Donald Trump sent, had this uh, he had a tweet and a, a personalized message saying he supports this guy. He's going to work with him, blah, blah, blah. It's just a you know a typical uh, endorsement from the president. You know, what we expect from him. And surprisingly enough, uh, the Democrats, uh, the, the National Democrats didn't do anything. Their strategy was, we're going to lay off of this because our brand is toxic. We're not going to fund this campaign and we're not going to try in this fight. And you know what happened? Uh, the Republican won. Now, granted, it was very close. Ron Estes, uh, he won by 53% of the vote uh, to, 45, yes, I, to about you. 46% of the vote, by the way. Uh, yes, I, I have that in front of me, too. Um, so it was a pretty close election. He only won by seven points. In what should have been a very, very easy win for Ron Estes. Of course, Trump tweets, oh, it was a really easy win that the Democrats spent all this money in and, you know, and they were expecting to win, which all that's not true. The Democrats did not expect to win. They did not even try. And it was really close. So this is being seen as a sign of a referendum on Donald Trump. If... Democrats can get this close in a Republican district, in a very, very red Republican district. That is good news for Democrats. It pretty much means all bets are off in the year 2018. Possibly, but there is a really nasty side to the story, and that's the way the Democrats have handled this. They could have picked up the seat easily. All they had to do was invest a little bit in this election and they would have had a win here. But my guess is that they really didn't care. They don't like progressive Democrats, people on Bernie's side. They'd rather have a Republican in. And which one thing, one note I actually picked up about this candidate on the Democrat side was the fact that he is actually a supporter of the Second Amendment, which I'm actually shocked that the progressive group would have actually given backing regarding that issue. So I don't know too much about him, but... I'm, I'm just, if, if if Bernie's backing him, I that's I take that as a pretty good sign. Evan, you would back anybody that Bernie Sanders back. I mean, I would I would want if if I were voting, I'd want to look into it myself. But having being on Bernie's side of the Democratic Party is a definitely a good thing. I mean, he'd have to be in favor of getting money out of politics and ending this corruption. He'd have to in order for Bernie to support him. And don't forget, though, that Bernie Sanders sold out and supported Hillary Clinton. So uh, about, again, with the general election, you understand why he did it, right? Well, like I said, I still say the best thing he could have done was say, screw this. To, I'm to go in third party. And he pro yeah, I think he probably Look, he still won. blames the Democrats for what happened. He was doing that because he was afraid Donald Trump would win, which is what happened. But. It okay. still was selling out, man. All right, hang on. I'm going to jump in on this right now. And okay, fact, thank you. The fact that this is, this is can we're I, going can off I, topic. Can I just state that Bernie Sanders is not a registered Democrat? He's an independent. True. Yeah. He he was an independent before the general, sorry, the primaries, and then went back to being an independent after the election. All right. And your point is? I'm not. I'm just stating the fact. Well, you stated it for a reason. What's your point? We'll talk about that later. I'm working. You stated it now. What's your point? We are talking about that later. It's a topic we're covering later on tonight. Okay. Look, whatever letter you have next to your name, whatever party you belong to, I don't care if you are loyal to the Democrats or whatever party you're in. As long as you're running for office, you have progressive values, 
and you're not a corporate sellout. But the Dem- the National Democratic Party don't seem to think that that's good. This guy, he was um, he was self financing. He was a uh, crowd financing. They could have helped him. They could have they could have chipped in, done run, ran some ads, something like that. But they don't see this as a worthy investment. Joe, do you have anything to say about this? I, I honestly can't throw into too much of an opinion because I wasn't really following the race too much. Well, and so there's you overall. Know, I there, would look at it as an overall possible testament to the upcoming midterm election. That's certainly true. That's certainly the good side of this is I mean, the fact that I don't think the I think the Democrats and possibly the independents are going to give Republicans a run for their money. OK, OK. I see the point. OK, yes. Um, whoever is running. Well, we got. Yes, the, the Republican control is horrible. A lot of that's due to the anti-establishment sentiment aimed at the Democrats, which we saw in the last election, which the Democrats need to stop that shit, because if you're just ignoring that, it's a Band-Aid and the pendulum is going to swing the other way. See, people in Kansas, they don't it's we have this red blue mentality where we think that people in red states are going to vote red, people in blue states are going to vote blue. So here's the thing, like Bernie Sanders and for all you talk about how he's selling out, I love a lot of the stuff that he's still doing, even after the election. He's going to states like uh, um, oh, West Virginia, West yeah. Virginia. Oh, look, I still like Bernie I, Sanders. I think he too. went to I Kansas. Just, he's still, he's still. Sorry, <laughs> I, I, let me just finish. He, he's still uh, spreading a political message. He's targeting the people who voted for Trump, and he's reaching out to them and saying, "Hey, the Democrats ignore you. I understand your problem." And I think that a progressive platform is in your benefit, which it is. And some people, the 47 percent who voted for uh, the Bernie uh, candidate, they agreed with that. So it's not a matter of red and blue. It's is this piece is this person for us? Can he help us? Or is this person a corporate sellout? Just to clarify from earlier, I still like Sanders. I still applaud Sanders. I still like all the work he does. I just said I still I'm still kind of bitter that he sold out in July, but that's the only black I'm, mark. I'm bitter. At, I'm bitter at the corporate Democrats and Hillary Clinton. They put us in this situation, and we got to hold them accountable. Trump is a monster. We got to fight him. But these Democrats. We can't pretend that they're on our side because they're not. They're, in my opinion, they're just once again, most of these Clinton, especially most of the high ranking ones are just dinos. And I mentioned that last episode. I just want to say we have the term rhino for Republican in name only. A dino is Democrat in name only. In case you didn't uh, get the reference uh, last time. OK, so one thing I, I have to say, this, Evan, and I needed you to in terms of fighting Don, President Trump and how you constantly claim that he is a monster. Are you saying get him and hope he gets impeached? Uh, I think he's certainly done enough that would qualify for an impeachment. I would certainly if he's been colluding with Russia. I, the one thing that I would say I, about I that it is I would be ver- very verbally against impeachment of President Trump for one reason is because then we're stuck with Mike Pence. And he's bad, too. This he's bad, but he at least knows what he's doing. Well, he, here's the thing. And I one thing I can't stand about the media is that they like to paint him as a moderate or a, he's reasonable. This guy's still a whacked out lunatic. Like, need he's just what he, not Donald Trump. Need we say uh, how anti LGBT he is? Again, from Can- from Kansas, uh, some good news, but if if Democrats are hoping of taking back some seats in 2018, the corporate Democrats got to step out of the way and help the progressives, or else we're gonna be stuck in this this cycle. So, moving into the next topic is President Trump's complete 180 on a lot of the things he discussed during his campaign for president. One thing we've seen is his foreign policy shifting and mostly mostly also his interior policy that some of it, at least that we've seen over the past week or so. And Kyle, I know you want to talk about the North Korea thing a little bit. I certainly do. First off, let's just say I firmly believe North Korea is all talk. There are a bunch of fools that have no idea what they're doing and they should not be treated as a threat of any sort. I somewhat disagree with that. 
Um, I mean, I know that they are horrendously incompetent state. They are really their failed state and they do have a lot of bravado. But at the same time, we I mean, I'm not an, an intelligence agent. They are a threat, maybe not the end of the world threat, but it can easily cause a situation that could spiral out of control, particularly considering that they have a very powerful ally in China. But at the same time, this was a uh, country that promised swift revenge because uh, be over a movie, a stupid comedy movie, may I remind you. So, OK, the thing, they're a joke. But remember when Donald Trump was a joke? Yeah, but they also did say earlier this week that if we make one move, even possibly even hint at a move, they and I quote, will nuke the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I see. I don't I don't think they can do that. They don't have they don't have the technology. They don't have the missiles capable of doing that. They can still they can still they can still build nukes. They might be able to attack South Korea. So there's a or Japan or Japan or so China. So the. <laughs> They are a threat to some extent. And you did see that China is possibly starting to back away from North Korea. Well, especially uh, away from them now, especially with the um, them turning away North Korea's coal shipments that get imported into China, which is a huge export for North Korea. They actually turned that shit around with President Trump basically saying, you help us, we'll cut you a great trade deal. According to CNBC, China, the country, the People's Republic of China has even released a statement saying North Korea tension has to be stopped from reaching irreversible stage. I mean, but what are you going to do? So, uh, yeah, all that talk from Trump about China being a currency manipulator. Uh, nah, he didn't mean it. It's all. Nah, never mind. China's cool. See, the thing is, like, yeah, nice long talk with China. And they just convinced him he was wrong. He doesn't have any convictions. You mean over chocolate cake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a beautiful chocolate cake. <laughs> May I say that chocolate cake was fantastic. But like, it's like we were talking earlier. Trump has no ideologies. It's he, whoever's whoever's closest to him to, who tells him what they want. I mean, all this. And notice how the timing is with Steve Bannon on his way out of on his way out being described as just, quote, a person who works for me and the uh, rising influence of his son in law, Jared Kushner, who. While not a good person and not as cr not as crazy as Steve Bannon is still still not selling you. I would want to take influence from. Yeah. So that, that's a very good point. I was I was about to uh, raise that. But yeah, it's Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was where he was getting all the racist, nationalistic American uh, carnage. The, and that's where he got a lot of the xenophobic, uh, crazy tendencies from. And now other people are talking to him and he gets other ideas. He doesn't have he's like a sponge. He's a he's a puppet. Whoever talks to him. Uh, oh, yeah, that guy's right. He doesn't have any convictions himself. It's just whoever said the last thing to him. Oh, yeah. Make a good point. He's persuadable. Well, it looks like the Steve Bannon thing really started happening when there was supposedly a feud between ba Bannon and Jared Kushner. Right. Yeah. It seemed like that was going to. It seems like they were pretending it was OK, but yeah, I, I mean, Jared Kushner's Jewish and Steve Bannon is a raging anti-Semite. So, yeah, start when he got off the National Security Council, which made me feel slightly safer and supposedly threatened to quit when that happened. Hmm. Even look at Sean Spicer. It's just like these is his tone of voice is completely changed now when he talk when he when he addresses like especially from earlier in the week with the uh, hmm. with the. um. Oh, Hitler didn't use chemical weapons gaff and now <laughs> which, by the way, watching that That's live, you can clearly tell it right after he said it. There was a quick pause and he was like, fuck, did I just seriously say that? Yeah, Open but the thing mouth, is, insert but foot. Are, are you trying to say that this guy is more evil than Hitler? Like, why? Why was he going there? And yeah. And then when he was corrected, what he said didn't make sense. Like his whole argument was, well, OK, I see what you mean, but like Hitler didn't drop bombs on towns. He just brought them in to get gas, which is better. Like, wait, what? And, it, and then Trump actually repeated that sentiment sometime later. And to jump in on the topic of 180, it looks like they also did a 180 on health care is off the table for now. It looks that's like that's nice. back on the table whole heavily. He even um, threatened actually this week to the Democrats saying, get on board or I'm going to cut the subsidies. Oh, yeah, that's. That's nice. It's a pretty Why good would the Democrats get on board? There's they are there's such opposition to Trump, especially from the left. 
the Democrats, one thing I do give them credit for, the Democrats in the Senate are listening to their base and they're sticking against Trump. If they side with Trump, that's political suicide. Besides, you know, being um, a moral issue, why, you know, uh, I hope any any self-proclaimed Democrat would not be in favor of any health care plan that would cut health care for millions of people. But at the same time, and I would say this, this is just a flip side. It's just an observation. Mm -hmm. It'll also be political suicide mm -hmm. doing what they're doing right now. It could be. Nope, nope. Knowing knowing mm -hmm. that a lot of the seats that are up for re-election in 2018 are in a lot of states that Democrats can't really afford to lose right now. Yeah, they, they couldn't afford to lose in 2016 and they lost. And it's only going to get worse because the Democrats have more to lose. Exactly. And it's from what everything I've been seeing right now, it doesn't sound like they've taken what they've take. They've understand stood really why they've lost. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the everything I was saying in that last segment. And they don't understand why they lost. They're just going to continue to say, oh, we lost because everyone else is racist and sexist and homophobic and all that good stuff. Yeah, which is not an argument. Anyway, back back to Trump. He's been he's been shifting his uh, policy on many things. First, it was Syria. Uh, first, he was like, oh, we should stay out. Oh, no, this is horrible. Let's let's bomb them. Uh, then um, he reversed his stance on NATO. I think that was, was actually shocking. Spoke Well, uh, somebody from NATO talked to him and. Trump's like, oh, you make a good point. Yeah, all right. I'm going to take your position now. Oh, and remember with uh, Syria, he said, I'm very, very flexible. I pride myself on how flexible I am, a.k.a. he has no spine. Listening to your advisors and not being so caught up on your opinions, like that's that's a good thing to to actually be able to be persuaded by facts and reason and and listen to an argument and not just stick with your guns, but actually consider the facts and the arguments. Anybody want to add anything to that? Mm, that's pretty much said all I need to on that one. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we'll have more developments as it goes on, most likely in the next upcoming episode. But for now, we'll just leave you with we've noticed that he's been doing a complete 180 on a lot of the ship on a lot of his views. And the only we'll thing have to I see where it goes from here. Honestly, the only thing I haven't heard anything differently on is anything about the wall. So our final topic of the evening is our opinion piece on the uh, what, what I believe to be similarities between the progressive Democratic movement and the Tea Party movement from 2010. Um, there are going to be a few people that disagree with me with this, but well, if this is my personal view. Respect that. One thing I've noticed with the similarities between it is the fact that basically is what the progressives are doing right now, in particular, the Justice Democrats is pretty much along the lines of what the Tea Party movement did back in 2010, which is basically getting rid of the corporate Democrats. Either you get on board or we're going to primary you the fuck out of here. That's a similarity of, of that's a major similarity of it. And the problem with that and what happened with the Tea Party is that completely backfired at one point or another. I mean, looking at the race, what happened in Delaware, a Tea Party candidate ended up taking a Republican's place and lost terribly. And other similarities of it and such that I particularly noticed at this time are Basically, it's a grassroots grassroots movement, which is no one has a bad thing about that. And I'm pretty sure Evan's going to want to jump in on this because I know Evan's a huge proponent of the American progressive movement. But also um, I didn't realize it was called that, but OK, well, uh, that's what I'm referring to as this is general opinion. I okay. mean, do you have anything to say about this? I'm, I'm not saying the similarities yeah. are bad in a way. I'm just saying that. This is what's happening right now. The, the, my only fear is that this could backfire on them in either 2018 or 2020. That is my main fear. OK, so first first uh, point, I understand your comparison to the Tea Party. First of all, the Tea Party, at least in my term, it's a big pejorative because at, at least in my opinion of them, they were a fringe radical group of crazy, angry people. Uh Maybe I might offend some people out there, uh, but that's that's how I that's how I looked at them. But yes, at the same time, uh, the ideology uh, that I believe is that the corporate Democrats are a problem. They screwed up this election in 2016. They got us in this mess. And the only way we can get out of 
there's the political psych, the political pendulum that swings left and right. And the reason swings is because the people get tired of the party in power because the party in power, they don't really care about the people. So they get sick of them and go the other way. The thing with the Tea Party is, is that there was uh, there was a grassroots component to it. Um, a lot of it was uh, financed by the Koch brothers. They did a lot of the organizing and a lot of the help getting that together. And it did have a big corporate component, but there was a grassroots anger. The one thing about the Tea Party, and I am kind of quoting the show The Newsroom in a way, but it's along the lines of this, and I'd have to agree with it, is when the Tea Party was formed, it did start out as a grassroots move. It was a lot of angry, angry Americans, mainly about the tax hikes, the government spending, etc., and it, from there, it got basically stolen by the radical right wing, right, right wing of the GOP. Is That's pretty much what happened. And that's what I don't want to see with this whole Justice Democrats thing is not only I don't want to see it get hijacked by the crazy left, which we know they're out there. Well, by crazy right wing, when you were talking about the Tea Party, you were talking about the corporate crazy right. Now, this movement is, uh, you know, particularly with the Justice Democrats, and there are a lot of similar movements. Uh, this idea is anti-corporate. The problem with this last election and with the system that we have, you know, whether you're on the right or on the left, is the influence, the ugly influence that money has in politics. That is the swamp in Washington that Trump always says he's draining, but he's actually filling because his cabinet is the wealthiest cabinet in American history and world history. I mean, I could go on, but do you agree that that we had a progressive candidate for president in 2016 and the and Hillary Clinton and the her the Hillary corporate Democrats, they sabotaged it. It was an unfair primary. They played every sneaky, dirty trick they got that they had and Bernie lost. What we had was a deeply unpopular candidate that no one liked. And people hate her so much. They voted for the craziest possible candidate you could ever conceive of. The, the one thing I could say about that, Evan, and you might not agree with me on this one, is the fact that the fa- it, the election's over. The election. The, like, yes, the, well, the one thing we got to do but- is it, it happened. We can't change the fact that Hillary won the nomination, was a terrible candidate from the beginning, extremely flawed candidate. Let's just give her that. Experienced, yes. Flawed, yes. But we have to move on from that. We we have to fix the problem, not just keep pondering on it. We do need to fix it, but a lot of the corporate Democrats will still put the blame on Bernie supporters or Jill Stein or whoever, and they will not take responsibility for themselves. So these these people, they haven't learned their lesson. This election, what they blew it. This was their fault. They mess us up and they will not take responsibility. I I agree with you about how Donald Trump's insane. This Republican Congress is insane. They have this vice grip on politics on our government that much of the country doesn't agree with. As Bernie Sanders always says, progressive views, the vast majority of the country believes in. So why is it that even when, when Obama was elected, we we have a wave of Democrats come in when we had, when Democrats had the white house and both houses of Congress, why didn't, why were they still obstructed? Why were they still weak? Why didn't we get a better healthcare bill? with uh, with a single payer or a public option. Even when the Democrats had all the power, they failed to do that. The Democrats, and when we, we had progressive Democrats just running for a, a competitive district and the, the national Democrats didn't even try. So these Democrats, they're not our allies. They might they might look progressive. They might, they might have progressive uh, ideologies they might have a nice platform but when it comes down to it they care about their money they're not in it for the good of the people 
And these these Democrats are weakening the corrupt the core of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party used to be progressive. Well, you had the you had a strong civil rights movement uh, back in the 30s you had FDR with uh, his New Deal. The Democrats used to be a progressive party, and then oh, kind of sort. I mean, back then, me, back then, like back then, majority. What well, was going to say that back then, actually, the champion of civil rights was actually the Republican Party back then, but it completely did a 180 once Johnson signed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. But the Democrats were for workers' rights. And sometime in the, I guess, what was it, the 70s or 80s? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, and yeah, and when the and when the Clintons took power, they all, all, all these corporate uh, influences took hold of the Democratic Party. And ever since it hasn't been the party of the people. It's in name only. In my opinion, though, the true, the true progressive party is actually the Green Party. But notice how much they get maligned every time. I mean, true. everyone still blames Ralph Nader for tw- for the 2000 election. And I say that is completely disingenuous. It's like, OK, these people, why? Why blame these people for voting for a candidate they actually connected with that and connected with them and not two that didn't? Oh, it's the man who cost Al Gore that election. He's still stigmatized for it, and it's not fair. But let's let's get away from Ralph Nader in 2000 and talk about uh, the current progressive movement that's not just fighting Trump, but is fighting the Democrats who don't have progressive course. Well, one actually I've been reading it a lot lately is that a supposed person who's going to possibly go for a nomination. He said he isn't, but I have a feeling he is, is actually for the 2020 election is going to be Cory Booker of New Jersey. I need to say that. I mean, overall, I like him. The same guy who voted against the prescription import bill that has since changed. That has since changed. Well, it, let's put it this way. It, it ch- didn't change when it mattered. The one thing is, is that New Jersey is home to a lot of pharmaceutical companies. And I mean a lot. Right. Uh, well, guess what? That's selling out, too. It's selling out, too. But also Bristol Myers Squibb is really big. One thing I have to say this and I'm going to ask Kyle, I'm going to look at you okay. and say this. All right. So you're Cory Booker. You live in this state. A lot of your constituency works for these companies. Let's just say you actually this bill passes, but it starts causing pharmaceutical companies money. They start laying off and a lot of layoffs happen in your area. What the hell do you think your base is going to do with you when they piece that together? At the same time, sometimes you got to sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And sometimes I think in this case, if you got voted out, you can at least say I got voted out, but I did the right thing in the end. And I like and like and me and you have discussed this. There's always a period to change, too. He he could come. Could he come around? Yes. Any any current person that's in office on the Democratic side that's known as a corporate Democrat could change over so the next. Why two are you three waiting years. for them? Why can't they just come out, rena- renounce all their corporate ties and say, OK, hey, look. Uh, hey, corporations, here's your money back. I don't want it. Uh, from now, I'm not going to take any corporate money whatsoever. Uh, Nick, when I reelect, I'm going to do a grassroots campaign. What's one thing I could always say about this is change takes time. Everybody fears change at some point or another. Change does take time. It is a work in progress. And we are going through a very tumultuous time with vast changes. Yes, and and one topic I'd like to bring up, you and I discru- actually discussed it earlier this week, is a major topic of the progressive movement is the, I believe, how much was the amount of the minimum wage increase of what they wanted to do nationwide on terms of a nationwide? Fight for 15. All right, fight for 15. Um, one, uh, with, the de- with the Justice Democrats, as, a, as someone who pretty much aligns dead center on every political test I take, I am completely against the $15 minimum wage, and I'm going to tell you why. If they raise the minimum wage to $15, they better raise my pay to equal. They better give my pay raise and equal to what I make pretty much equal to what I'm making now. Because like I said, I worked my ass off to get my pay higher than that. But and where these people get their pay is getting a pay raise just for. Yeah, no. Well, it's not. It's. 
All right, Joe, well, you talk. I, I want to respond to that. All right, please do. Okay. I So I, I get why you'd feel pissed off about it, but that having your pay at $15 an hour is objectively better. You would, you would maybe, yeah, it could, I see it hurting your pride, but you would still be better off. You'd still have more living money. How? When they're going to, you know, everything. You, ha, you have more income. But you know prices are going to be raised. No, to, I don't know that. All right, can are we, they going to be raised? Can, yeah. Hang on, can Inflation's we? A bitch. Can we at least say this? Can we just say the fact that with this, at, at the rate of this is for, especially since I, I believe the national set standard for minimum wage is somewhere in the sevens, I believe. High sixes, early sevens. I, we could it's double check. Seven twenty-five. Seven. It's abysmal. It's seven twenty-five. So at that type of rate increase to fifteen dollars an hour, we can't call it a minimum wage. It is called a living wage at that point. Yes, it's a living wage. Some people, they work in fast food industries, single moms with children. They have to work insane hours and they don't make enough to live on. Everybody who works should make enough to live without having to work over 40 hours a week. Everybody deserves a living wage. Not including this. I work two jobs and I don't make an... I. I'll fully admit I don't make a lot of money. I don't complain. No, I it is what it is. I know what job I work now isn't worth fifteen dollars an hour, and I know that once that pay goes up, they're gonna cut at their. It's our, we're already seeing this happening in a lot of places where fifteen dollars is the wage. You go to a lot of the fast food joints. There's not a the most of the play, workers are replaced by kiosks. And one thing I can say about this is usually, and I've worked as you guys know, and our viewers are about to know, I've worked in business retail and education, web development, etc. And one thing I can always tell you is the highest paid go first. That is usually how it goes. You are expendable if you make a certain amount. Why why keep someone that costs me more money when I can have someone that's a little bit cheaper? So this goes to a bigger issue. Uh, at least with the large companies, a lot of the money they make is just profit. Look at Walmart. They make insane profits. And, and pay their and pay their workers nothing. They could easily afford to pay their workers fifteen dollars an hour, a living wage. But at the same time, you're kind of it's insane to think that it's insane to think that they're willing to give up extra profits to give their workers that. You can well, see that's see we need more regulation, and you have you have influences like the Koch brothers, vehemently fighting any corporate or financial. Oversight. One th one thing. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ask the question, Kyle. I, I know it's a personal question. My apologies, but I don't want to know how much you make right now. In the past six, seven years, what has been the dollar amount of your total raise? Okay. The full amount is. Oh, I've been working at my job for. It'll be a decade next in July of 2018, and as of as of now, April 2017, my raises have been tantamount to 350. And the first dollar nineteen of that was over the first six years. And what happened after that was with what happened after that, my hour, my hours got cut because I was part time at the time. And I went to my boss and said, if I if I can continue to work, I, I want to continue to work here, but I need more money, especially with this hour cut. It was approved. And then later that year, I was promoted to a full time position, which came with a dollar thirty five raise. And then I got 15 cent raise, which is my normal rates. Are typically around my normal rate over the summer. And, and one thing I'd like to say about this and is basically um, I've worked really fucking hard to get where I'm at financially, etc. And I I don't feel it's right that somebody who is just entering the workforce for the first time. You make a lot more than fifteen dollars. It, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, remember. Five years, not even five years ago, it was some not long ago, I was being paid six dollars an hour and I still managed to live six dollars support. You're living at home. Doesn't matter. I'm gonna I, had a, I had a car payment insurance. And, and a I'm lot of people making that can't get by. And what your argument seems to be a matter of pride. But it's not just a matter of pride. I just I, okay, I don't. So, I work, so if if it goes up to fifteen dollars an hour. My pay gets raised to $15 an hour, but you think it's going to go beyond that? No. So now I could say I've been at a job for I've been at my job for a long time. I'm not even now. I'm and I'm making minimum wage. So this isn't just about you. This is about 
struggling families who can't make enough to feed themselves where they can't choose uh they can't have buy enough money to pay for their families this isn't for you this is for the people at the bottom of the ladder and i understand and i understand that but at the same time Doing a, I think a fifteen dollar minimum wage is way too idealistic. It, I, I think what we're overall, we're so sim- I, it, are we sympathetic to it? Yes, one hundred percent. But at but the same time, I think the only way it's going to work is if companies themselves realize. And one thing I have noticed, <laughs> the company yes. I worked for now, they don't. They it's don't, not going to happen. The company I work for now, I'm not going to name names, but they started at one for longest time minimum wage of seven twenty five there. And it would annoy me too back then, but they now start people off at nine dollars an hour, which is like I said, it took it took me six years to get to nine dollars an hour. So companies and especially corporations are incentivized to make profit. That's their job. They are not going to learn this on their own. The only way that they can treat their workers right is through regulation. The government has to step in and manage these companies tell them what they can't and can't do tell them how they can treat their workers how much they can get raised or this isn't right disagree with that and i can tell you one thing i know one thing i will have to say around the time that they started putting in that nine dollar minimum where i work and because they actually more they actually started getting more quality employees because one thing i've noticed if you pay people minimum wage you're gonna get what you pay for and another thing that the one problem I have with regulation is what's going to happen when we raise that? You we all know the answer. Companies are just going to start laying off people. That's exactly what they're going to do. And then we're going to have more problems to deal with more. Un, the unemployment numbers are going to rise and it's just going to spin off from there. I mean, I'm sympathetic to it. I really think people need to be make more. And I agree that, yeah, some of these corporations have handover of his profit, but, uh, profits, but coming from the government. It's not it's not going to end well for anybody. I really think it's too idealistic. So what's your solution? All right. One thing I'm going to push for this because I'm a firm believer in it. And the one thing I've I've noticed is that teenagers, especially high school students, don't have jobs, at least a good portion of them, which I can say for myself. I started working when I was a freshman in high school and never stopped. I mean, some people I know didn't start in the workforce till after they left college. And that, in my opinion, is unacceptable. During those high school years, that's money to not only live, but that's money you can save for the later years. Does every high schooler need to have some job? Is is that your solution? High schoolers, everybody everybody go work? I I believe that you should have work experience before you leave college. I absolutely believe you do. Like, I've been in workforce for 10 plus years. I don't feel that some kid that just got out of college who's younger than me deserves a higher pay raise or whatever than me even though I have more experience, but he's got a degree. He has no work experience. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, but he's making more. He, he's he's trying to run the show. And I'm that's in my that's just unacceptable. And that's moving into a whole thing about education. Yeah, right, I Joe, you've segued into this topic. Are you damn right? I did, because one thing I've noticed about is the constant thing I hear from people is the fact that education is expensive. I'm going broke or bankrupt on my fucking student loans. Because college is just becoming way too fucking expensive and it's ridiculous. So these colleges, um, these are colleges are for profit institutions. Uh, I, I heard a really excellent interview uh, earlier on uh, when I listened to uh, So That Happened, Huffington Post podcast. Of course. Shout out to them. Uh, they had a really good interview about uh, ed- education. These uh, for-profit colleges, they are massive money-making institutions. I went to Drexel University. Uh, they had crazy tuition. I am massively in debt. And you know what they're doing with that money? They're building all these fancy new buildings. They're not necessarily improving the quality of their programs or what they're learning. They're just building shit. They're just building all this stuff that makes their college prettier and it makes them lots of money. So the, the problem with education is that there's this culture where you're just expected to go to college. Like you're told, I, I mean, I was told, you're not going to get a good job unless you get a college education. And a lot of kids, yeah, maybe you're the exception, Joe, but a lot you of You are the exception, Joe. You're the exception. A lot of people don't follow your path. 
They went to college and they thought they'd be taken care of. Like that was the mindset that we had. And we were just kids. We didn't have a lot of, I didn't know as much back then as I do now. I didn't understand how the world works. We were just coming out of high school and you're told that if you go to college and you study hard and you do all that, you go to, and especially if it's a, it's a, if it's a reputable college and the four and the for profit ones, they're even better. So you go to them you got, you got a great job, your students all paid off. And that's not true. A lot of times, a lot of employers don't, they, they don't really care about college as much. They care about what your work experience, but they'll still get, if you don't have a degree in a lot of stuff, they won't even take a look at you. Well, a lot of the jobs I've seen most of the time are either four year degree or substantial work experience. They will let the degree slide. Uh, and I want to say um, there's a new proposal in Chicago by uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel. His proposal is for a law in Chicago that says that you can't graduate high school unless you're either gone to a college or you coming out of work straight out of high school or you go into like the military or something like that. So it's basically forcing kid children to take this path and possibly go to a college where they could wind up in debt. So this is a very short sighted and disastrous idea. Not everyone is college material. Then one thing we really need, we need to get in, start encouraging more people to go to the trades. One thing I could do, I will say with my college degree, I learned a lot. I met a lot of good people. I'm also current. My second job, I'm currently working in my field. I'm not going to say what, but I met a lot of good people. I learned great. I had some great teachers. I learned so much, but if I could go back and do it all again, I'd go to trade. I'd to go be like go do electrician or plumbing because those make a lot of money. The it pays off. It pays off, and also, and also the world needs a lot of those. We need carpenters. We need plumbers. We need electricians. We need all those things. And right now, not even a lot of trade schools. They don't even exist anymore. All right. So Kyle, I actually you actually just answered my question I was about to ask you, but I'm gonna. Pass it over to Evan. If you could do all do it all over again, would you? Uh, I certainly wouldn't have gone to a for-profit college. I, I don't know. There, there was a lot of good stuff in my education. I don't regret my education. I regret how much I spent for my education. Yes. And you know what? Same here. I, I, I would have gone to a state school or something with a cheaper tuition. No, and I actually would have put the time. I would actually put time and effort into looking for more financial aid and grants and stuff. And I, I, I got lots of financial aid and I'm still in massive debt. You know what? I, one thing I will say about state schools in general is there are state schools all around the country that are in the constant rankings of the top 10, top 20, a lot of state schools. And if you're in resident, they're actually fairly cheaper in terms of that. But moving into a to- another point. Part- Sorry, are you changing topics? Because there's something I want to say. No, no, please do, and then I'll this change. This is a super liberal policy, but I think this whole idea that we have to pay for education is bullshit. Unattainable. No. Well, here's my argument. High school is taxpayer-funded. It is. And college, uh, Bernie Sanders often says that, Today, a college a college degree is the equivalent of what a high school degree used to be. All right. So I think that educating a workforce, educating a productive workforce, and not for a for-profit cause, but with the intent of building us as a country, is something that's in the benefit of the country. We need people who have these jobs. We need doctors. We need engineers and electricians. This is something that should be a burden of the government and the society. We should look out for each other and support each other. And that should be something. Education is not something that just benefits you. It benefits the country, everyone. I really think that's too. And I can agree with that sentiment. I really can. However, I really think it's a, too, a bit. Once again, it's a bit too idealistic. I and mean, one thing I will say. I don't want to go to college 100% for free. I just want affordable college. 
All right, so I'm going to give my opinion to free college. I, I, I think you, I think we all deserve the right to go to college and come out not in debt, or at least not in super debt. So wh- whatever whatever position we have, it's um this whole system of going to college, coming out in debt, and not being able to attribute to the economy because you're spending all of your money on student loan payments is inexcusable. And I'm just going to say one thing about the uh, Andrew Cuomo's the education bill that was passed in New York, the, the, the free college education bill. It's a disaster. Even the New York Times is butchering it. Well, you got to um, go into go, in, go into You got to go into a little bit of detail and tell us what it's okay. about. Um, sorry, uh, butcher wasn't the right word. They they railed against it. So it sounds like a really good idea. The whole idea is that um, if you go to uh, if you go to college, they would pay your tuition. But the thing is, there's so many caveats that make this really difficult. And this started out as a progressive idea, but then the the corporates and the Republicans come in and they just will this away. So it has no it, it means nothing. So you have to you have to uh, go full time. You have to do this within four years. Or otherwise, you don't qualify for it. Oh, and also, when you're done, you have to stay in the state for as many years as you went to college. So, say you're in New York, you have to stay in the city or the state. The state, yeah. Okay. But say you know, say you want to move, you want to go to New Jersey or Phil or Philadelphia, anywhere else. Your your grants they turn into loans, and you gotta pay them back. So, say you're on, you're you're doing you're doing this, and um. You're, you're in this program, then you have to you can't go full time because you have to work. You have to support your family. Oh, yeah. You, you don't qualify anymore or you have to pay it back. It's to be a fair, horrible. It's it is, a horrible. I think it is a step in the right direction. It's it's watered down. It sells itself as an easy. Uh, hey, look what I did. Free college by Andrew Cuomo. He could just say that, but it's nothing. It's weak sauce. It's bullshit. And it's just it's way more convoluted than it needs to be. And it's not going to help anyone. I mean, I agree. However, I still think considering everything that comes out today, I think it is indeed a step in the right direction. All right. So I'm going to jump in on this because all right, here's one argument I can propose to both of you right now. You both went to college. You're both in student loan debt. One argument I can say from an opposing force, and I'm not exactly opposing per se, but one thing I can say, you both chose to go. Yeah, as I said, I was younger. I wasn't as experienced. It, I'm just I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's an argument that could be used. But another um, thing I'd like to and I made a comment earlier about how I said unobtainable, not completely unattainable, obtainable. Yes. Do I believe that community college should be free? Yes. Do I believe that most state schools should be cost little or nothing? They somewhat are. But like, would I be fine with a state school costing per year, not per semester, but per year between thousand to five thousand? Yeah, that'd be fine because four years later, you're walking out with 20 grand worth of debt. That's not too bad. That's manageable. That's a car payment. That's a three hundred dollars a month. That's easily affordable. But it's but for private things like Drexel University and such. And it's just it's impossible. That is a. 100% 100% impossible to actually force a private university to actually so, yeah. curtail their costs. Of it, course, of course, you can't um, you, you can't say, hey, private private colleges, you have to be free. You can't do that, of course. But, no, but the fr- at the same at, at the, the same, same time, t- their tuition hikes, the way it increases their unmanageable costs, it's spiraling out of control and something needs to happen to. But to keep them in check. One thing I would like with his plan, if it was free community college and cheap, cheap state schools, that actually might help curtail what they do. And I think there needs to be a broader effort in society to fight this notion that you have to go to an expensive school to get a good education and to be well after college. I think peop- kids need to be made aware of the dangers of for-profit colleges and the pitfalls, and they need to be stopped being put in such a positive light. And one thing I think they need to stop having those recruiters come to school for for-profit colleges because you know they do. All right. And yes. I, you know what? I'm going to lean into one more education topic just because of the fact that we're talking education. It's one thing that I think we all agree with. This is extremely liberal view. But um, 
I don't exactly like what the Republicans are planning to do to the Department of Education. You don't like it? No, especially That's teachers. Bit, that sounds like an understatement. <laughs> well, do it's you a disaster. Disaster. Uh, do you want me to really describe it how I want? Because I can say a lot. It's Go a clusterfuck. Clusterfuck. It, it's just upsetting that a lot of these senators and Republican senators and um, well, it House seems representatives, like a lot of these, them don't even have their kids in public school. Well, no, it, I just think it's disturbing about how they basically want to cut teacher salaries, get, disband the teacher union. Yes, the teachers union is definitely one of the most powerful lobbies in the entire country. They can. The snap of a finger, they can usually make it happen. But I just find it utterly and disturbing that they just are horribly underpaid. Well, yeah, they, they have to supply the, a lot of times they have to supply supply their own all, supplies. Well, all, all the uh, all while the board and administrations will make five to six figures. Well, you know what upsets me the most about it, and it's just the fact that it. I just find it unacceptable. You're you're putting children at risk of not getting gaining a good education because you want to save a few bucks. Maybe they don't. Maybe. They they don't want an educated population because, hey, people who are educated can fight back. And, and OK, so charter schools aren't even usually better than public schools. In fact, they're worse more often than they're better. It's a little so, no oversight on it. I mean, I mean, John Oliver, John Oliver on last week tonight actually had a really, really good look into charter schools over the summer. Well, and I, I look at it as a way where they always say, let's save money. So, you know what? I'm going to throw a problem. I don't know if this is an actual progressive view or not, but I'm, you know what? I'm going to throw this out there for shits and giggles. U.S. House of Representatives and senators. Oh, cut yeah. Your, cut your motherfucking salaries. And if you're really mm -hmm. bitching that much here. You make 200 something grand you know, a year. They, cut that down to 75. That, that, won't, that won't do anything to them. They make so much corporate money. No, no, no. Yeah, but, but you get what I'm saying. No. Cut your salaries. No lifetime health care. Absolutely no lifetime health care. I think politicians oh, yeah. should make minimum wage. See how they feel. Well, that about wraps up our show for this week. Um, so please tune in next week for whatever crazy shit happens in the world. Once again, I'm your host, Joe Matthews. And I'm Evan Richter. And I'm Kyle Zober. We'd like to thank you for listening and hope you join in next time. Have a good week. Good night. Good night.